If you have your Bibles, I invite you to grab them and turn with me to the book of Romans. Uh, we are every week nearing the end of this book. And I don't know if I'm excited to, to reach the end or if I want it to keep going. Uh, it has been a, a very fruitful study for, for me, uh, for us as a church. And, and I think I, I would be lying if I said that I wouldn't be sad when it ended. Uh, But let's look this morning. We are looking at Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 33. Uh, That is the the focus, but I want to back up and begin reading the the passage that we studied last week as well. Because these these two are connected, and I think we'll be able to make better sense of today's when we have a firm grasp of the one before. So look with me. Romans 15, I will begin reading in verse 14. Paul writes this. I myself... I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Pray with me. Father, your word is what we need this morning. It is your word that goes forth. It is your spirit that uses your word to transform lives. It is... What we endeavor to do here during this time of worship is to 
totally reliant on you. We rely on your word. We rely on your spirit. We rely on your grace. We rely on your illumination. We rely on your inspiration. We rely on on you. And there's nothing else that we have to cling to except you. And so as we come to this word, as we come to this passage, continuing this study of your book, Father, we need you. Give us eyes to see. Give us eyes that see both all of the work that you've done in the past. Give us eyes to see the works that you have prepared for us to do in the future. And may your name be praised this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, Michael talked to our children uh, a little bit ago. Jessica, I'm sorry that you kind of got thrown under the bus in a lot of those. I had nothing to do with that, uh, I assure you. But he, he talked to the kids about hard work. What is it about a hard day's work that can be so satisfying? I mean, you know this, this feeling, right? Like that you, you, th- you wake up early, you, you spend the whole day working at some task, some, some hard challenge before you. And it takes all day, it takes maybe several days or even weeks and, and you work and you work and you work and slowly progress is being made. But there comes the day where the job is finished and you're able to turn around and look at all that you've done. At all that your hard work has brought to fruition. And there is a sense of satisfaction, of pride, of accomplishment. Just to be able to say, wow, look at this. It was hard, but it's done. If you haven't felt that, then either you need to give it more time because the day will come, or you need to work harder because you're not working hard enough. But if you have felt that, then I I think that you'll resonate with Paul in our passage this morning. This, this final section of Romans that we began last week, uh, as Paul is, is talking about his travel plans and his desire to finish the work that God has called him to do, I, I think last week we, we looked at, at what it means to be mission-minded, what mission-minded people are about. And, and this morning in our passage, we have a similar but maybe a slightly different twist on, on the same thing, on this mission, because this morning we are looking at at the work that mission-minded people set themselves to. We are looking at mission work and what this is and what, what it, why it means and what's important about it. And so as we study this passage this morning, I want, I want you to see how Paul viewed his work. Because Paul really in this passage does two things. He, he first looks back into the past. And he sees things that God has done. He sees the faithfulness of God and, and how his work has kind of wrapped up in a certain area of the world. But with that, he also looks forward. And he sees the work that God still has prepared for him to do, the work that remains for him. And ultimately, at the end, well, I want us to, to see where Paul draws his energy and his strength and his encouragement and refreshment. To do the work that God has prepared for him. And so we're going to approach it from these these angles. To to look at the past work. To look at the the work that God has already done in Paul. While also looking at the past work that God has already done here. For us at Bear Creek. 
I want us to, to then show how Paul looks forward and, and still has these great plans for what God is going to do. New works that God has prepared for him. And with that, I think it's good for us as a church to look forward and to, to see a little bit of the vision, the, the taste, the works that I believe God has prepared for us to do. For we are not done. And finally, I want you to show, I want you to see where Paul gets his encouragement and his renewal. Because I, I think that this will help keep us as a church focused and refreshed and not burnt out doing what God has called us to, doing this mission work. And so let's first look at the work that is so far done. If we look, we see this in verses 22 and 23, and really going back into the verses from last week, where, where Paul has, has talked about all the work that he's been able to do. And he says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. I, I've been, Paul's saying, I've been wanting to come to Rome, I've been wanting to come and visit you, but things have been stopping me. The work has been stopping me. And then verse 23, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you. I hope to come to you. See, Paul has been, has been hindered, he has been, has been stopped from reaching Rome to this point. And it's not that he hasn't wanted to. It's not that things just come up or that he didn't have the money. It's not that he couldn't find a a flight that got him to Rome. He wanted to get there, but he couldn't leave until the work was done where he is. And so what work is this that Paul has been doing that has been keeping him from getting to Rome? I think ultimately and primarily it's been that the proclamation of the gospel. Paul has been actively at work seeing lives being transformed by the gospel of Christ. We can go to the the history book of of Acts and see the the missionary journeys that Paul went through and uh, how he traveled from Antioch and kind of moved through Asia and then into Europe through these different cities and different towns along the way. And in each one of these cities that Paul went to, especially in his first few missionary journeys, where he came into new cities without a gospel presence, without a church, where the gospel had not yet been proclaimed. Cities like Corinth, Galatia, Philippi, cities that had no church before he arrived. We see really several things that became a pattern in Paul's missionary trips. He would first go to the synagogues where, the, where his Jewish brothers and sisters would congregate and he would share to them from the Old Testament how Christ of of Nazareth, how the Messiah has come, how Jesus died, forgiving sins and rose again, inaugurating the kingdom. And inevitably, in almost every place he went and proclaimed these this good news, Paul was then run out of town and persecuted, attacked, threatened, attempted murder. And yet, even despite all of this, and despite the seemingly overwhelmingly rejection of the gospel in these cities, everywhere Paul went, there always resulted in a small to large group of people who believed. And some some Jewish believers, a lot of Gentile believers. I mean, here here is Paul, after years and years and decades of doing this type of ministry, Paul has been given this very front row view 
to watching how the gospel, this gospel that he has spent 11, 13, 14 chapters so far unpacking, how he has seen this gospel work. And how lives are transformed by it. And as these new believers in in specific cities end up coming together and congregating together, Paul then plants churches. He doesn't leave individual believers to figure things out for themselves. He says, no, 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 we need to gather. We need to form the, the ecclesia, the church, the assembly. One of these examples that always comes to my mind when I think of, of church planning and how Paul went about it was that when he came into the city of Philippi. And he came into the city of Philippi and there was, there was no real room, for, no real area for him to, to proclaim. No, they, they didn't share things on the market square. Paul was prevented from speaking publicly in a lot of the, the main cities. And so what Paul did in Philippi was actually make his way down to the river where there were large groups of people gathering and they were gathering to pray. And there he met this, this wealthy woman, the seller of purple goods named Lydia. And he shared the gospel with Lydia and her, her prayer group. And immediately this woman and, and these people with her believed and then pleaded with Paul that said, if you truly believe that we have the faith that you think we have, then you will come and eat dinner at my house tonight. And you will not stay anywhere else, but you will come to my house and be with me and, and help me start things up here. And so Paul and Silas stayed in Philippi and they worked with Lydia and they planted this Philippian church. It wasn't long in Philippi before Paul and Silas were eventually arrested. And if you're familiar with the story of Acts, it's the the story where the Philippian jailer is brought to salvation. and His family is baptized and brought into the church. I mean, all of these things take place and Paul is here watching it. And what is interesting in all of this is that. Paul himself never had any desire, never had any personal plans to even go to Philippi. Paul wanted to go east. Paul wanted to go into Asia. He wanted to go farther east into the world. And God kept blocking his way before eventually sending him a vision, a dream of a Macedonian man, a Philippian man. Pleading for Paul to come to him. And so Paul went to Philippi. He saw lives transformed by the gospel. He saw churches become planted and established. And in all of this, in all of his cities, in all of his journeys, he did not simply proclaim the gospel and then move on. But in most of the cases that he went, most of the cities that he visited, he spent several years here. And he never spent really more than, 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 more than a few years at any one church or any one city. But he never was there less than a year. Because Paul took it upon himself to make sure that before he left, these churches in these cities had enough foundation that they could stand on. That they had enough, uh, enough of a grasp of the gospel that they could not only just stand and encourage and, and support one another, but that they could go and complete and continue the work of the ministry. Proclaim the gospel to their neighbors and to their co-workers and to their friends and their family. One of the ways, one of the things I, I love about Paul's church planting strategy that we see in Acts and And the way that his heart is on on display in his New Testament letters for these churches is is that Paul. Paul needed these churches to know that it wasn't his church. 
Yes, he worked hard and yes, he proclaimed the gospel. And many of these these founders of the of these churches came to faith because of Paul's ministry. But Paul's not the one who died for these churches. Paul's not the one who suffered for their atonement. Paul's not the one who gave his blood for them. He wasn't her bridegroom. But Paul's job, his role within the body of Christ was was by God's grace to plant the church and then to teach the church how to stand on their own, how to rely on Christ and not rely on Paul. And we read last week and and kind of seeing it connected to our passage this morning that Paul says here that he has completed his ministry work. And he says he's completed his ministry work in an area from Jerusalem to Illyricum, uh, modern day Albania. He's talking about a distance that takes you from Israel up into Syria, all through Turkey, going onto the island of Cyprus, coming it up into Greece and visiting all their their big cities, going north into Macedonia and Achaia. And then finally you reach Illyricum, Albania. If you were to drive this distance today and, and go and, and rent a car in Jerusalem and drive up to Albania, you would drive over 2,000 miles and it would take you nonstop almost 35 hours to make the trip. And there's something. Paul had the audacity. I don't know of a better word to call it, but he had the audacity to write. I have finished all the work that needs to be done in this gigantic area. I have completed my ministry here. There's nothing more for me to do here. Now, Paul's not delusional. I don't think he's being audacious just to be audacious. He he does not believe for a second that every person within this massive population center has heard the gospel. But the proclamation of the gospel is not completed in this area. And that's not what Paul is speaking about. Paul's role in the proclamation of the gospel in this part of the world is completed. He has planted churches. He's raised them up. He has seen them equipped with elders and deacons who can teach and lead and serve these churches. He has even on occasion sent his own close friends to go and pastor and shepherd and lead the churches as the need arises. But in this, for example, when he sends Timothy, Timothy, he sends to the the city of Ephesus, go and pastor this church, Timothy. They need someone to lead them. But he tells Timothy that when you go, one of the things you must do is to go and do the work of an evangelist. And so we learn from this that Paul doesn't believe that there's no more need for evangelism in these cities. And that's why he's leaving. Paul knows it very well, but he knows that there are churches there who are equipped and ready to go and do the work that is needed in these cities. His work is done. He has equipped them. He has poured them out. He has watched by God's grace. These churches grow. And it's time for Paul to look elsewhere now. I think if Paul can look back on his ministry and all that he's done and all that he's seen God do, I think it's good for us to to be able and be willing to do the same. I've been here seven years now. Many of you much, much longer than seven years. Some of you not that long. In the past seven years as serving here as as pastor, there's been a lot of growth and a lot of change. I, I think that when I first came, many of you were still hurting from the decision to leave the UCC. 
And there was there was a lot of wounds and holes that were caused by loved ones and close friends who had left because of it. There was uncertainty about the future, but also excitement about the future. And I see so much growth over these last seven years. I'm so thankful for it. We've got elders who are actually serving as elders, who are being equipped and raised up to do what God has called them to do. We've got deacons who are faithfully serving the church behind the scenes that many of you may not even recognize or realize that they're doing. We've seen growth groups become a staple of encouragement and fellowship in our church. We've seen people gather together and learn what it means together to follow Christ. We've added new areas of ministry and new places, new ways for us to reach our communities, to proclaim the gospel. I went through and counted. I think that we have we have preached through nine complete books of scripture on Sunday morning. And that doesn't really even count some of the smaller series we've done. That is just nine complete books beginning to end. It doesn't count Sunday school. It doesn't count what we've done in growth group or anything like that. But over the last seven years, I have I have seen I've gotten a front row seat to watching this church grow and develop. And I've seen so many of you develop and grow this this hunger, this desire for God's word, for more of it. To grow in your knowledge of Christ. I have seen you, church, grow together as a church. Loving and supporting one another. Caring for those that are hurting. Welcoming visitors. Offering help. All of it. I think we have grown together these last seven years. We've grown numerically. As many of our new faces will, that are around here this morning will, will point to. We've grown spiritually. As we've come into a deeper knowledge of Christ and we have grown in love. And I am, I am thankful to God for all of this. Because I, I cannot for a second begin to take credit for any of it. Because I can do these things if I wanted to. But here's the thing. We are not done. There is always more work to be done. And we need to be about it. I think we, as we move into the, the next few verses, we actually get a glimpse of why Paul wrote Romans here. Because he, he sees that there's work still yet for him to do. And it's here, Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm coming to you. I, I want to come and visit you, but I've also got work that I want you to help me with when I get there. Paul doesn't have his sights set on Rome as his destination. He looks past Rome into Spain. You see, when Paul began his first missionary journeys, he, his, the city of Antioch served kind of as his home base. His missionary journeys started at Antioch, they went out to these other cities, and then came back to Antioch. But then, Antioch was the, was the city where they were first called Christians. Antioch, in a lot of ways, was the first missionary sending city. But Paul has had his eyes set on establishing a new city. As the next missionary sending city. And that city was Rome. We see this in verse 24. He says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Paul had his heart set on Spain. In his mind and to many of the, the minds of the, this time in history, Spain represented a very important place in the Great Commission. 
Spain, by a lot of accounts, was the ends of the world, the ends of the earth. When you reached Spain, you saw nothing but blue ocean out in front of you. And Paul here understands and remembers the words of Christ that he gave to his disciples in Acts 1 prior to his ascension. Go into Jerusalem, go to Samaria and Judea, and then to the ends of the earth. And Paul says, okay, I've hit Jerusalem, I've hit Samaria, I've got one more stop to make. But to do that, he would need help. He would need a city to call his home base. He would need a church that could support him and help him reach his goal. So he wanted to come to Rome to make them understand the gospel that he proclaims. And in the same way, understand his desire to proclaim this gospel. See, there's a there's a subtlety here that I I don't want us to miss. I think that Paul, when he writes Romans, understands that if the Roman church could simply understand the depths of the gospel itself. Then that understanding would naturally lead them to, to their support and partnership of gospel proclamation of mission work. Here's the thing, Christian. Here's the subtle, the subtle nuance that I don't, want to, I don't want you to miss in Paul's writing. If your understanding of the gospel does not lead you to proclaiming the gospel, then you don't understand the gospel. I think this is an incredibly important thing. I'm going to say it again because we need to grasp this as a church. If your understanding of the gospel does not lead you to speaking about it with others, to telling other people about the gospel, if that is your understanding, but it stops there, you don't understand the gospel. And yes, I know that we're not perfect and there are times that we should share the gospel and we don't. There are reasons like apathy and laziness and sinfulness and all sorts of things that prevent us from sharing the gospel. But what I want to point your attention to, I want you to look internally. I want you to see, is there a desire in your heart to tell other people about the gospel? Because if that desire is not there, then I don't think you've got it yet. I mean, consider what apathy does. And the reason that we don't share the gospel because we're apathetic. When I'm apathetic towards the lost, it means I don't don't care about them. They're not important to me. I've got other things that are more important than them. And ultimately, deep down, the reason that I won't share the gospel with someone I'm apathetic towards is because I may believe that they are not that important to Christ either. Which says that I don't understand the gospel. That I'm not living in light of it. Or consider fear, which is a a big discourager of gospel proclamation. I'm afraid of what people might think. I'm afraid of what people might say. I'm afraid of argument. I'm afraid of rejection. Whatever it may be. Ultimately, when fear keeps me from sharing the gospel, I am placing the fear of man over the fear of God. I am placing my personal status, my personal identity, the way that I am viewed by my peers over and above How I am viewed by God. My status and my identity are not found in Christ. They are found in the opinions of the people around me. Showing that I do not understand the gospel. That I'm not living in light of it. 
Church, understanding the gospel will always lead to sharing the gospel. And Paul wanted the Romans to understand it so that they would help him proclaim it. And he's coming to Rome so that he can go to Spain. But he can't come yet. It's most likely that Paul wrote Romans while he was sitting in Corinth and he's been gathering. He's been on this last missionary journey. He's been gathering a financial collection. And he says to Romans here that before I come to you, I must first go to Jerusalem. Which, if you're not familiar with how the world map looks, Jerusalem is a thousand miles in the wrong direction if you're wanting to go to Rome. Paul says, I've got to go there first. There is pain and suffering in Jerusalem. Jewish Christians who have come out and announced their faith in Christ have lost a lot. They've been cast out of synagogues. They've been cast out of communities. They've been fired from their jobs. They've lost their houses. Their families have evicted them. They've lost everything. And all of this on top of the fact that Jerusalem during this time is undergoing a severe famine. There is no food for anybody, but especially not Jewish Christians. And they're hurting. And so what do the Gentile Christians around Europe and around Asia do to help out? They give. They say, hey, Paul, you're going back that way here. Let me write you a check. Go buy Go buy someone a sandwich, please. Make sure they get fed. Make sure they have the food that they need. Make sure they have somewhere to stay here. How much money do you need? We'll raise it and you can take it for us. It's mercy ministry. And the, the, the funny thing is that the interesting thing is that, that Paul points out, he says, this is good for the Gentiles to do. And he gives us why he tells us why they should do it in verse 27. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. He's again pointing to the gospel. Mercy ministry is rooted in the gospel. He says the Gentiles have been grafted in to be counted among the people of God, just like the Jew, the, the Jews have been for years. And if the Gentiles have experienced and shared in the spiritual blessings of Israel. Then how could they withhold material blessings from them? I think we don't we don't really have time to to dive too deeply into the importance of mercy ministry and helping out those in need. But I do want to point your attention out to this this justification. Paul connects the spiritual blessings to physical blessings. Christian, you have received spiritual blessings. The fact that you are a Christian proves this. And you who have received spiritual blessings must be of service to others in material blessings. And so we give and we support because we understand the gospel. Now, all this planning that Paul does and. How he describes the work that he has left to do. I, I think this week I, I've spent some time thinking about what our future looks like together at Bear Creek. What is the work that God has set before us like he has set Spain and Rome before Paul? And I think there's there's several things that I, I envision us as a church being about going forward. I think at the top of that list or near the top of that list is a desire to reach the lost. I've been saying it for years and we've talked about it in different capacities, but the 
within the state of North Carolina, there are these things called pockets of lostness. That within a five mile radius in this in this circle, there are an unusually high percentage of people who are not believers. And this church where you are sitting right now is in the middle of one. And that may seem strange, that may seem odd, and we've talked about all of this before, so I won't go too deeply into it. But the reality is, is there, there are people within a five mile radius of this building who do not believe in Jesus. And I want us to be a church that goes and finds them and reaches them and shares with them the good news. Because they need it. I want us as a church to be able to grow in the knowledge of Christ together, to be rooted and established in love. I want us as a church in the future to raise up students and children who love Christ and are ready to serve him with their lives. I want us as a church to, to, to be known as to, to, to see marriages prosper as pictures of Christ and the church. I want us to be a church that empower our single members to live for Christ and to serve Christ with abandon. I want us to be a church that cares for the poor, that cares for the broken, the desperate, that we are a place where people can come when they are hurting and in need. I want us to engage in missions around the world. I want us to to become a sending church. And that's probably the biggest and, and foggiest one, but maybe even the most ambitious one. I want Bear Creek to be a church that sends its members around the world. And not just for a week. Not just for a few days, not just for a month. I want us to be a church that sends people out to go live around the world and proclaim Christ. And I could probably go on and and maybe maybe this list is ambitious. It is ambitious. I have no doubts about this. Maybe some of you are thinking a little too ambitious. Or maybe there's another group here that that is thinking that you're fully in support of all this. You think all of this is great, but great for other people to do. After all, once once you turn 65, you get to retire. And that includes all these great benefits like settling down and getting to enjoy the, the house and the family that you spent so long building. And I'm not speaking against retirement or any of these things, but I do want to point this out. When Paul eventually makes it to Rome with the intention of going into Spain. Do you want to know how old he is when that happens? He's in his 60s. Paul is in his 60s and he is envisioning starting all of the ministry work over in a brand new part of the world. Not to mention the fact that at this time in history, 60 years old might as well have been 120 And not to mention the fact that that all the suffering and all the ailments that Paul endured and all the persecutions left him, even as a 60-year-old man, barely able to see, certainly unable to write, and barely able to walk or move. And yet in his 60-year-old frail mind, he said, God's got work for me to do in Spain. That's where we're going. Church, God's got work for us to do. And you may be... 10 years old, you may be 90 years old. God's got work for you to do. So let's be about it. Lastly and quickly, how do we do this? 
How do we look at someone like Paul who's in his 60s and who's suffering from all these ailments and go, how could you just keep going? And ultimately, it's because Paul was given refreshment along the way. We see this in verse 24 where Paul says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Verse 29, he says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of bless of the blessing of Christ. Or verse 32, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. How does someone like Paul continue going and continue moving and and work and function like the missionary version of the Energizer Bunny? How does he do this? Because he draws his nourishment and energy and refreshment and encouragement Exactly where God has provided it in the church. I know that many of you have family reunions that you like to attend. Maybe it's every year, maybe it's every few years, but I haven't been to to a family reunion of of my father's side in quite a while. They still have them, um, but they, for some reason, decide that Sunday mornings at 1130 is the perfect time to have a family reunion. and so we, we haven't been able to see them, but I do know how much joy and energy it brings to my father. To see his cousins and to see his aunts and uncles and to, to share stories about things that they used to see and who's still alive and who's since passed, since the last reunion, all of that. I mean, family reunions are a special thing. And they bring energy, they bring joy, they bring encouragement, they bring refreshment. And when we consider the fact that the church is a family... That we are called brothers and sisters. There is a joy and refreshment that comes from just being with you. There is an an encouragement that comes from just gathering together. There is a sense in which that when we feel tired and we don't know that we can go on, there is a way that we can just be with to enjoy the company of our brothers and sisters and go, you know what? I think I can keep going. This was good. I needed this. I think that for us as a church, we do a good job and we should continue to strive and improve in this area of being a place of refreshment and encouragement. I talked to our our friends in Ecuador, the Pipers. I talked to Jonathan this week and asked him how we could be praying for them, how we could support them, how we could encourage and refresh them. And he told me some some things that they've got going on. Ecuador as a, as a country has been in a little bit of a, a turmoil recently. But they're just pressing on. Working and serving and, and loving the people around them. I want us to be a place that people like the Pipers who are serving on the front lines of the mission field. That, that we could be a place that they turn to for refreshment and encouragement and nourishment. Even from a distance. We should be this resting place for those that are serving out around the world. And I'm thankful for the Pipers. I'm thankful for the ways that we as a church have partnered with them. And I look forward to ways that we can continue to do this together. But I don't want to be satisfied with just stopping in Ecuador. 
I want us to see us as a church become more involved and to see our support system for missionaries grow and develop so that we're not just supporting missionaries in Ecuador, but we're supporting missionaries in Oman and Romania and Slovakia and India and China and to continue to grow where we can be the support system and the encouragement and the joy that missionaries draw from. God has done great things in us, Bear Creek. He has done great things through us. But don't you for a second think that he is done. Because we are not done. There is work left to do. Good, needed, biblical mission work. And I want us to be about this work. I want us to be partners in this work. Striving side by side, step in step to get these things done. And for us to be a place of refreshment to those that are weary, a place of encouragement to those that are struggling, a place of revival for those that are hurting. And all of this by the grace of God. Ultimately, I think this is what our prayer for as a church should be. And it's what Jesus taught his disciples and taught us to pray. May thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Pray with me. Father, that is our prayer. That is our hope. That is our our goal. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for all that you have done for us. And in us. And through us. God set things before us. Make it clear where we should go, what we should do, how we should serve, where we should, where we should go and proclaim, how we, should, how we should love our community and serve our neighbors. May our understanding of the gospel push us forward in this. And may your name receive glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.